everybody, and welcome to the 153rd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I'm Ava Foxfort, and I'm joined today by Tom Brewster. Hello, Ava Foxfort. My name is Tom Brewster, and I'm here. And over to the left of Thomas Brewster, although I don't know. I don't know what order they're in. Quinton Smith. Hello, Ava. So what were you thinking when you said that I was to the left of, of Tom? Because I'm in Brighton. Tom's in Reading. Um, hundreds, if not thousands of miles between us. Yeah. What, what, what was your thought process there? Um, just that I had to pick a direction. But I actually think that I'm valid because if I was to face down in the direction of both of you, I think I'm pretty sure that uh, you'd be on the left. Yeah, you're correct. I did a search and Quinn's is canonically to the left of me from your perspective to the right of me from my perspective. I'm to the left of Quinn's from Quinn's perspective, but that's just how perspective works. Yeah, perspective's weird. Let's get our perspectives on some board games because that's what (laughs) we're here to do. Wait, before we introduce the two really quite special uh, board games we're going to be talking about on this podcast, before we start recording, Tom said he had something he, he could or would or wanted to bring up during the intro. So Tom, oh. take it away. Yeah, I remember. Well, I mean, it, now it sounds unimpressive, but if Ava was going to pick me to be the second person in the intro, so it's going to be like, I'm here with Quinton Smith and then Quint introduced himself and then, and I'm also here with Tom Brewster. I was going to say, I'm Tom Brewster and I've just eaten 200 kilogra- kilograms, 200 grams of foam bananas. Um, and that was it. That was all I was going to say. And then what I was going to do was then put a foam banana in my mouth for the rest of the segment and that will maybe entertain someone but probably not me or the audience sorry today we're going to be talking about sleeping gods by ryan lockett uh published by red raven games a cooperative storytelling mystery it's not a mystery but like i've got some mysteries about it and then it's hostage negotiator again we've already covered in video uh but quins and tom have been playing a little bit more of it and want to talk about it I want to know exactly how bad at negotiation Tom was. Let's find out. Let's talk about some games. So the first game we're going to talk about on this podcast is Sleeping Gods, the massive big new box from Ryan Lorcott and published by Red Raven Games. So Sleeping Gods is kind of this big cooperative adventure game. It's kind of like, the way I've been pitching it to people, is if you put more game and more co-op into the Tales from the Arabian Nights, a classic sort of choose-your-own-adventure game where you stumble around and have rubbish things happen to you all the time. To get into what Sleeping Gods is, essentially it has two kinds of alternating phases. You have these ship management sections where you do bags of fun admin, uh, and then you travel this huge world map, stopping off to explore islands where you have challenges and encounters and sort of choose-your-own-adventure-style story sections. And to go through all this, you have a cast of nine different characters who each have their own spread of skills and abilities and weapons and backstories and stuff. Um, And each of these characters is split between the number of people playing. So last night it was mostly just me and Ava playing and we split the characters evenly between us to have four each and then we both had control of the Capitan. Uh, And your objective is basically to uh, leave. Uh, You've got to get out of this big open map by finding totems scattered throughout the world. But doing that is kind of tricky because it requires you to go on lots of little mini missions to various different places uh, and helping people and experience things. 
the big hook here is that one game of Sleeping Gods is technically like 10 to 12 hours long. So if you were just to sit down and play a game from start to finish, you would be there for ages and need the toilet more than once. But you can choose to pack it up at any time and keep going later on. So you write down where you were on this log sheet and you put everything in the box in these storage compartments and that should make it less of a faff to set up. But overall, what you're trying to do is just have an adventure, read text, respond to it with skills and doing checks and combat. And I don't know whether I've got kind of explained correctly what this game really is but i think if you've played a sort of adventure game you know the, the kind of the gist here as the person on this podcast who has not played it here's what i need from you two i need i need examples of what this story is if you're if you're going and having adventures and doing checks what is happening to the crew of this ship what is the world of sleeping gods what do you do so the um the background to it is that you get like plugged out of your world whilst going on a boat trip and you accidentally fall into like some fantasy world with mermaids and ghosts and cult but you are trapped there and you won't be able to escape and get back home unless you uh, wake the sleeping gods by collecting totems from around this archipelago of wonder and weirdness which is a very like thin excuse for what is essentially like a giant collection quest where it doesn't really matter what you collect you just have to find as many (laughs) things as possible so it's like all side quest as far as I can tell which is kind of nice because that what that gives you is what I think is one of the, the the most charming bits about it is that this is an archipelago that you can just explore like in the game that I played with Tom last night, because Tom had already started a game with another group, um, we, instead of going to do the things that it immediately tells you to do and kind of pursue the main quest um, as in the most simple way, we just were like, you went south last time, so shall we go north? And just went <laughs> off piste and just started like stumbling upon stories and story hooks halfway through. And I should explain, like, so some of the stories, like, as an example of, like, one of those hooks, we went over to some island and we saw a sort of ghostly, wispy vision child made out of smoke that one of our crew members became sort of, like, really pally with. And then we offered that kid a ride to somewhere else. But also the kid is kind of a shadow, so he just sort of exists on the ship in this strange quantum state. Very strange. But once we picked up that kid on that island, you get these quest cards which come in this big sort of chest that you open up and there's tons of them. And the quest cards have a keyword on them. So our keyword was like ghost child. I don't know. Then if we go to the location that that kid wanted us to go to, which is a town to the west, if we get there, what that town might have is it might say, if you have keyword ghost child, turn to this page. And then you turn to that page and you can resolve it from there. So it's this system of gaining and using keywords from these different places and one giving you direction to go somewhere else and sort of building up these little quest chains with these things. And then the thing that we had very quickly in our game was we went north and we stumbled on maybe four different quest chains at once. So we had four different keywords pulling us in all different directions and we were sort of stumbling and trying to make sure that we were capping off all those narratives in one go. And they're pretty fun so far the first thing that we did i thought was pretty a a little like oh okay like i didn't feel like it was like the best start to the world so i'm glad that we then went off piece because once we 
once we were just diving into weird things, I started really enjoying the little the little hooks that you were being given, the little kind of mm. nudges in certain directions. Because yeah, because we did one thing where we we went to this town and we uh, got a object that was an obvious hook. We found a thing that's like, can you go and deliver this to someone? But we also like had a chat with someone in the local museum who gave us a, like <laughs> the name of something to explore and we didn't get a keyword with that so it wasn't obvious that there was a quest attached to it but there was like a suggestion of like oh maybe one of those things over there is the tower that this person was talking about so let's go and have a let's go and have a look that's not like the most exciting story here because like oh um, someone in the museum has told you that something looks nice but it's also like a really cute way <laughs> of being of nudging you towards things and so if there's a lot of that sort of stuff then that kind of deals with the potential for there to be a bit of like wandering lost not really knowing what you're going to be doing that still mm. feels like that kind of natural exploration and almost like tourism. And I did enjoy that following that hook did lead us to quite a satisfying little kind of conclusion to that arc that then led us on to yet another little story. Yeah. So there are like the feeling that there is stuff in the world and it's not just a series of vignettes is kind of like it does feel a bit like you're going on lots of different little side missions, but the side missions are fun and they do link back to each other in interesting ways. And there are those little realizations going, oh, and that's why that's like that. Yeah. Uh, we've only had that once so far. It remains to see if it keeps it up throughout. Um, but it's pretty nifty. Those story sections are pretty cool. And they're obviously the highlight of the game. They're the draw. You have this massive book that's full of writing. But in between, we have the part that I know, Ava, you are less keen on, which is uh, what I previously described as bags of fun admin. Before I actually launch into this, it's worth noting, Tom has played this uh, physically in person. I have only so far played this in TTS, which means that I haven't had my fingers on these pieces and anything that I describe as being faffy is almost certainly like double the faffiness of what it actually is in real life. And I will say before we get into this that Sleeping Gods has enough components that feel nice to touch and enough little boxes to keep them in that when I was playing it in person it felt wonderful pulling out all these weird little bits and bobs like from like compartments in the table where I'd stashed them to go now of course we must draw a quest card and you pop open this little trunk that is stuffed with like 150 <laughs> cards that is super satisfying in the real world and i do think that a lot of that physical stuff could could salvage some of what i'm talking about but i also i get frustrated so what sleeping gods does is has there's a lot of resources like you've got your crew and they can all get fatigued they can all uh take damage um they can all add cards and equipment um and you have this kind of like abstracted command token economy which is really cool and really interesting in that it's a way that you can you can spend these to equip items or to help out your teammates on challenges that is like oh actually i've got the right person for this so i'm going to send them over with you so they're going to get fatigued and i'm going to spend a command token because i think it's worth helping this because this is important and that's really nice but it's also it also feels like busy work. On top of that, you're then moving the ship around and then having random, like the map has challenges on it, which is another thing. So the challenge mechanic is basically you have a range of stats and little icons on your character card. You decide who's going 
on to take on the challenge which can be one person or lots of people you pay the fatigue potentially command tokens if new people are coming in and then you flip a card and you get a number and if that number is higher than the thing uh you win and get the get a bonus and if you fail you get uh some damage in some case now and what i've seen so far which is a very very small segment of the game it's quite good at making sure that you don't actually lose the thing so much as you get hurt it's not like ah you failed that task so now you're not going to get to play for the next 10 minutes or something you normally get (laughs) the reward or some variant of the reward um but you get a punishment at the same time um but this basically means that you've got this like huge pile of trackers of things that can fall down and get damaged and fall out and i think the game is basically an endurance thing can you do as many of these quests read as much of this book look at as many of these stories as possible whilst not falling apart to the fate and problems of what comes at you and there's there's resource management like there's various different things you can collect for your ship there's recipes that you can do to to revive all of your people and reduce fatigue or low morale there's a load of little icons and things to keep track of and it's and it's interesting and it means that all of the story bits have a load of different strings that they can pull at which is cool but it was so much faff it felt so so (laughs) so frustratingly um tedious to be constantly having to be like being really excited about getting to read those storybooks and solve these puzzles and work out where we had to be and looking at the map and trying to figure out where you were supposed to go and making the wrong call and going in the wrong direction but between everything that i was excited by there was at least a small endurance test of like, can you be bothered to do this faff and this faff and this faff? (laughs) And that does make it into a game. That makes it into a race where you're uncertain and you don't know how much you're going to get done. And that means you've got to make harder decisions about which direction you want to go in and whether you have picked the right thing on the map or whether you've chosen the wrong rocky outcropping. But when that loses you 15 minutes, half an hour of game time, because you've gone to the wrong thing and it's fine because that was actually where we found like the most interesting plot hook of the section Mm. that we played but i don't know whether the faff to fun ratio is correct i can see that i i think i i think obviously this is all tempered by being in tts i think in person it's speedier so there's a few little it sounds big-headed to me to suggest but there are a few little things that i would like actively like tweak about sleeping gods when if you're playing it for the first time to make it like ideal and the first one i think is really obvious which is while you're playing it you have to hand the book to the person to the left of you so they read and you choose rather than because as written in the rules it says you open the book and read the thing have the other person read to you because it means people are more engaged that's what tales from arabian nights does and it's the best way of playing the game um but the other thing after playing it for a bit that i might actually suggest is just ignoring those world events on the actual map themselves because they are never interesting to resolve those like take some damage to your ship if you go through that just take the damage if you go through that location don't even bother with the skill check because choosing who's going to do it and fatiguing them and stuff is just this extra bit of grit that i think makes it just a little bit annoying and adds to that faff like i think as it stands the turn structure is very simple you do a ship action which will get you some command counters or cards then you do an event which is just a random thing that happens to you and those are normally fine and quick to resolve and then you have the 
uh, actual meat of the game where you explore or travel or do those kinds of things. And I think the idea of having sort of two events back to back that are just the same regular skill check is pretty boring and the results are no way near as interesting as anything in that explore book but i do i do think that it, it like i'm the the defender i suppose of sleeping gods at the moment because i had such a wonderful time with it around a physical table and it did feel like when you start that game it has this huge world where you can go anywhere and you can immediately find interesting stuff and like it's a beast and it's expensive and it's huge when you say that you had just such an amazing time with it around a table, I want to hear you hold forth on that. I want you to tell me why that was such an amazing experience. Because I've got the, you two are nickel and diming over individual mechanics, and that's a very important <laughs> discussion to have. However, tell the people at home why it was so ruddy good when you were around a table. I think that just the core loop of those explorations and that feeling of sort of limitlessness to the game, where it's this huge world, you can immediately go anywhere and find something interesting, is just comes alive so much on that table with that spread of components out in front of you and the fact that it's much snappier once you get going there's actually we haven't even talked about the combat at all but the combat is also really cool you have this sort of thematic sort of damage location thing where your attacks are like one singular strike across a grid of spaces it sounds really boring when i put it like that but it's good <laughs> i promise <laughs> um but it was every time i was we were doing something in the game someone around the table was going oh cool and there was something just effortlessly sort of explorative about it in a way that I really, really engage with. Um, and I think that having something that feels like... I think the, the biggest magic trick that we, everyone glosses over, or that I've glossed over, is that when I say Sleeping Gods is like adding more game and more co-op into Tales from the Arabian Nights, the game part of it is maybe debatable in that whether you think it's game or faff. I think it leans a little bit more on game, a little less on faff, because I find that command counter economy really interesting Th and thematic as well. But I think the thing that is really strong about it is the fact that it's co-op, co-op Tales from Arabian Nights, where everyone is invested in what happens to your characters. And there was a moment of magic when we were playing where a lot of the time you're looking at these players in front of you, these characters that you've got in front on your ship. They all have their own abilities and stuff. But never in Tales from Arabian Nights feel like you know exactly what's going on with someone's spread of cards. Like, you have a vague idea. In combat and in the adventures that this game puts in front of you, you will know what the person opposite you has going on with their characters. And that was exemplified by mid-combat, one of my friends suggesting, oh, hey, remember you guys, that doctor, and he's got that thing. Can you do that right now? And just, it was a nice little connective moment where another player knew intimately what I had in front of me on my player board, which I don't often get in games, if that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, this whole conversation, I've been thinking about big... Uh, narrative board games with tons to explore and I'm where I was wary about Sleeping Gods being co-op because if I think about what for me is the best moment in Tales from the Arabian Nights it is inevitably when my friend makes a decision like you know she encounters a house fire and decides to rush in or whatever and it just goes horribly for the funniest things in Tales from the Arabian Nights are when your friends get thrown in jail when someone tries to hang out with an elephant and they get absolutely pancaked when someone finds the mystical underwater city they've been trying to get to for 10 years and immediately get thrown out for mentioning <laughs> the god they believe in tales of the arabian nights is primarily unfair and that's where the joy comes from or alternatively when i played the king's dilemma the thing i liked so much about that is you know you're all sat around the table arguing over what you know choice you should make with your ruling of the kingdom and then when someone pushes through a decision because they believe in it and it turns out to be a horrible choice and everyone <laughs> groans and yells at them and no how how could you not see this coming 
like, you know, these are fundamentally combative moments. And so the thought that Sleeping Gods is a cooperative game makes it seem, I guess, a little toothless. But if you are concerned about these characters under your command, if you're worried about the fate of the expedition, that could be really exciting. I'm thinking about my wife and I really fretting over whether our medics would survive in Pandemic Legacy Season 1. There's never true jeopardy in the same sense of something like pandemic where you're worried that your medic is literally going to have his card torn in half and you'll never see him again it's never going to have that same level of bite because the game ultimately like ava pointed out that if you lose in combat if everyone dies or if your ship crashes there is a system where you reset and you go back to a port and you just deal out a few extra cards from the event deck which is basically just the timer for how long you've got in the world uh, it's like three cycles of the deck yeah I, I, well <laughs> I think that this game needs that to work because I think the idea of getting th like six hours into a 10 hour campaign and then losing because you stumbled into a combat that's too difficult is would be horrible. Yes, so it okay, doesn't have fine. that same level of it's not Iron Man mode. It's not like the hardest possible game ever because it does off, you know, offer you some olive branches here and there. But the game's strength isn't in necessarily making you deeply care about the characters. Like so far, I know who they are for their abilities and their faces, not who they are deeply as people. And But maybe that's going to change over the course of the game, firstly, because we've literally barely scratched the surface. But secondly, I think it's more a game about those vignettes. It's kind of like Monster of the Week style storytelling. And I think that suits this style of game really well in that ultimately what I was having fun with was like getting through these encounters with the people around the table rather than the characters in front of them, if that makes sense. And leaning on other people's... There was a, a really great example of how this game can get quite silly was Ava and I, while playing it yesterday, had the option to ring a bell and the instruction was ring the bell once and only once. And the book gives you three options. Leave, ring the bell once, or just ring it loads. And... <laughs> At that moment, Ava could have just, you know, you were umming and ahhing. But either way, I wouldn't have cared what the what you'd have picked at that moment. I just was there to see this weird story play out and us to in interact with it in a strange way. It's good. I really like it. I think I'm alone in that so far. I don't think you're alone in that. I think I think I probably will like it in person in hand space i really really like it when i get to put my fingers on the things and just do it do it for myself sort of thing except so th i think there's two elephants in the room that we need to talk about here uh first of all price it's a, a very expensive box with a lot of really really lovely things in it but it is it is very expensive for a game that i yeah. think i think it's going to be very dependent on exactly what your group likes in terms of storytelling competition stakes and faff right all of those things are a bit things that could people put people off this game which means that if you're going to put this in front of a random group of people some of them are going to love it some of them are going to hate it which means you're going to set up this like oh let's do a massive campaign we're going to spend 12 hours playing it and i think there's a good chance that if you've got too many people and not the right people people are going to drop off quite quickly also, you probably want that because you probably only want to play it with two or three players, I think, anymore would be mm, too yeah. much. So that's Elephant in the Room number one. Elephant in the Room number two is that while I, we didn't have this in my tabletop simulator game, we had the extra faff, but the faff, it seems, gets pushed to either end of the, of the session if you're playing in real life um, because 
there is a lot of pieces and a lot of stuff and there's a system for putting this all away nice and neatly so that you can keep everything where it needs to be so that you'll be able to set it up again next time but that is not going to be quick and that is a lot of work to kind of basically like set up this huge smorgasbord of stuff and I think that's a shame because I think that if this was a game that you could dip into I think it could be like so lovely um, which yeah. led us to actually, I think I said last night that like this could be like the killer app for your ridiculously expensive gaming table with a sunken thing and a top that you can put over it. Because if you could just leave this set up underneath your table yeah. so that you could just like dip, pull off the covers and go into the game whenever you are ready for it. Like this could be like the loveliest bedtime story generator. And this could be like <laughs> six months of like 15 minutes a night just going for a little bit of story and just playing something and then going to bed afterwards and i think that could be like the cutest way to play any game ever but for most people me included i had to bring it to the game night on my back in a bag and it made me really hate the game because oh boy did it hurt to carry for a long journey and then set it all up which took me like 50 minutes it's ridiculous. It's huge. Yeah. I have never hated a game more than that. the new edition of Container, the Jumbo oh. edition, which has enormous resin ships. And it's like, <laughs> this was a game made by Americans who drive everywhere, isn't it? And I, like, <laughs> beads of sweat rolled down my forehead as I was wrestling out of the London tube station. So yeah, don't sleep on Sleeping Gods unless you want to, because it's got problems. Solid conclusion. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> Tom, you're yes. reporting for duty now. Uh, here's what's happened, people at home. Um, I recently reviewed a game called Hostage Negotiator, which is a one-player game in which you, sat alone at your table, are trying to negotiate the release of hostages from a variety of abductors who may or may not be killing hostages. They may or may not be angry. All of these abductors are unique individuals with their own uh, you know, demands, their own sort of special setup rules. But really, the reason I reviewed Hostage Negotiator is while it's a pretty fun one-player game, Hostage Negotiator Korea is a ridiculous expansion. And those of you who watch my video will have uh, seen this already, because to play it, you need to buy the original game of Hostage Negotiator, the Crime Wave standalone sequel, tons of little booster packs known as abductor packs, which are like 10 bucks each, and the Korea expansion. But if you get all of this, which comes in at like 150 bucks, it's it's just this ridiculous dragon's horde of components. And with that, you can play Hostage Negotiator as a career mode. Now, due to the review we've done, it is largely sold out. And it's going to be a long time before people can get all the components to play Hostage Negotiator career. But since the video review, I've lent my copy to Tom. And since you folks can't play it, we thought we'd have a bit of a chat. But partially because you can't play it, also partially because Tom has seen different things to me. Um, there is so much in this box that even in my review playing Hostage Negotiator night after night, Tom has already found stuff that I didn't see. So, uh, Tom, would you like to uh, tell the people at home how your experience of being an Hostage Negotiator has been? I am the worst hostage negotiator. I told ever. you. I told you how hard this game was. It's I told so you it's difficult. hard. And you made the choice to launch into your career where every hostage negotiation is permanent and goes on your permanent record <laughs> um, without having played it before. So, Tom, that. would you like to describe how your first ever hostage negotiation straight out of the academy went? Technically, I did do one quick go at the game before my career. 
However, it also did end badly. So we won't talk about that one. We'll launch straight into the career itself. I probably should have played the game till I won a game before then launching into the career mode. But no, I lost and then lost again over and over <laughs> and over again. The first thing I did, so I had my first negotiation, which was what you called like one of the most bonkers negotiations in the games, which is the swamp negotiation. Yes, it's it's the, the, the classic swamp. It's a man in like a gas station, but he's hidden the hostages with his sister who's complicit in the crime and his yes. sister's hiding somewhere in a swamp. So you're kind of keeping the guy on the phone while you're trying to search the swamp. Yeah. Um, which is difficult because he's particularly unstable. Yes, um, and if you search the swamp too quick, too aggressive, then he just offs himself and gives the hostages to his sister who runs away with them, which is exactly what happened to me. It was a nightmare. So I think I got like four people killed in that one because you were saying, oh, at least it's fine because if the, you know, basically you have a pool of 35 hostages total for your whole career. And if you lose all 35 hostages over the course of 10 years of negotiating, which is, by the way, is very generous, I would think. <laughs> Uh, you lose the game for good. Um, so you don't want to lose that many. And you said, oh, well, at least that one doesn't have that many hostages for, to impact your high score. Wrong. During the terror phase of the game, which is the most aptly named phase in any game ever, <laughs> I managed to find an extra four hostages. So in, t in maybe the, the least damaging one, I managed to lose six people total, which was not great. Off the back of that, my guy was having a bad time, uh, so he just decided to become corrupt, which was my first decision as soon as I joined the force, which reduced my personal stress, but has made my career stress constantly sit at five, which is the highest value for the whole game. Uh, this has been my sort of general through line, is that he's a bit of a mess. Uh, so my second negotiation, also a disaster, got 11 people killed. It was not good for anyone involved, but it meant that I got to go on a special training course because I was so bad I needed help, which gave me some better dice. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, and then I immediately went to go and buy a flashy car, which was also nice. So my negotiator was doing great. I'm interested in this because um, I saw when I was playing Hostage Negotiator Career that there's a deck of cards relating to your car. None of these came up for me. I actually ended up in this weird... Have you had any of the cards to do with um, your, riv your rival negotiator? Um, no, I had I this in so. so yes, I didn't get the cars. I want to hear about this But the rival negotiator is amazing because the first thing that happened to me in my career I did like one negotiation and then this woman this cop decided she didn't like me And then it that causes you to like add other cards to the deck and I was like, oh I wonder where this is going turns out I randomly drew the finale of that like immediately and then she the cop immediately goes into the abductor deck So I don't know <laughs> what I did to annoy her but like I I had exactly the same thing, but the reason that she got added to the deck for me was because I flirted wrong with her and she got added to the deck straight away, which was not great. I had that same event because, and that was when I didn't realize you have a, a mandatory spouse. So <laughs> it was bizarre. It was like, you know, this woman is flirting with you. Do you want to either turn her down or turn her down in this other way? And I was very baffled, especially because then she went on a, you know, she's clearly ready to abduct some hostages. Um, tell me about your cars. Uh, I want to know what's up with your cars. The thing that's weird about the cars is that I, so I was ready for the car to go really badly because I went to a dealership and I needed to buy a car, but didn't have much money. So you roll the dice and I managed to get the best possible result, which was the only one that doesn't give you stressor car cards. Right. Into your okay. Deck. So that car caused me literally no problems whatsoever. 
then later down the line, I then bought another car. But then that car was too expensive and I gained a debt stressor because I can't afford them. Uh, I've got too many cars. I've got, um, what is it? Triples of the Novas. Triples of the Barracuda. When I called the, in the review, you'll remember me saying that it's not a hostage negotiator career. It's going to sound like we're making fun of it. And it's also, I say in the review, that it's not really a story. It's like a trashy airport novel. You have to understand what, what Tom and I are laughing about is it's, we're not making fun of the game. The game is like so entertaining. And I've realized this because I've been playing more of the publisher Van Ryder Games' stuff. They're not necessarily in love with telling a story. They just love schlock and they love tropes. And they love mashing those together. Like, and also we should say, because I didn't mention this in the hostage negotiator review, this system is being kind of reimagined and, and uh, evolved by them in a new game called The Final Girl. So the, the system that sits underneath hostage negotiator, so rather than negotiating with an abductor, you are going to be, you know, the final girl in a horror movie trying to escape from some kind of murderer. Um, which tells you, I think, what the publisher likes to do. They like working with tropes and then they like sort of sitting you in a, sort of trashy movie i guess is what, how i would describe it and maybe maybe the most thematic of them so far is one that was unopened in the pack so it was it was my first uh, abductor that you hadn't dealt with which mm. was misha who is a celebrity an influencer in the game you have these abductor packs which have unique hostage abductors in them uh, and they have their own unique mechanics so the Seavers, which are the ones with the swamp that was a cool one for you um but misha is a celebrity and it's actually her fans that are doing the keeping the crowd as hostages thing okay, she's got no okay. blood on her hands personally but she does have sway over the crowd and they're the ones who are offering hostages when you make them angry but her whole thing she has loads of weird mechanics she has a new system called petty demands um <laughs> which are these ridiculous <laughs> demands like bring me a sad clown or a glass of champagne but you have wow. to resolve them instantly or she gets angry and her biggest demand is to live stream the whole event which is good because it helps you out in various ways, but it's bad because you can no longer eliminate her because you're going to be doing it on live TV. <laughs> when you say eliminate, that's using the sniper cards, I suppose. But that yes. means the only way you have of arresting her is removing all the hostages because when that happens, then yeah. um, abductors will give themselves up. Yeah, exactly. And and she also has this card. Uh, she's volatile, and she has a card that goes next to her abductor profile. They're all like, volatile. Come on, like the idea that any abductor in that game has a volatile card. <laughs> but she has. It's called the paranoia card, I think, and it flips between two modes: uh, scared and bored, uh, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. Anyway, but then so you'd think I'll just finish off my because I've only I'm only halfway through, and I'll finish off the tale of uh, my my negotiator. You'd think, knowing my track record, that I've messed that up, but I didn't. I got through it relatively unscathed, with only one hostage dead and the rest saved, which is nice. pretty good. Nice. Uh, what did the department do as a result? They were so enamored by how much I've turned it around, they promoted me twice. What? Uh, <laughs> immediately shooting up the ranks in the most ridiculous way possible. And then I got to the fifth year, which is halfway through, and there's this big event that happens halfway through i won't spoil it but it's a ridiculous negotiation that is just bonkers and has loads of unique components and it's ridiculous they entrusted me with this negotiation which obviously i then immediately failed uh, and the cards <laughs> at the end all of this resulted in my spouse dying due to this negotiation mm. which was a nightmare oh no oh yeah it had the classic moment that you were talking about where it went your spouse is now dead and i went my what <laughs> um, which i didn't realize up until that point but that gave me a bunch of personal stress which was a shame because i've been doing great on that front before but then 
here's the real kicker on this game kind of just just tipping off into not making any sense at all uh which was uh after that happened i was immediately given stressor regret and then reward card vacation time <laughs> which was brilliant but i then used that vacation time and its power was to reduce my stress back to one so i literally forgot about her forever after going on a vacation to the bahamas unbelievable is unbelievable. unbelievable i okay this maybe would be a good sort of springboard into a discussion because the thing is is that hostage negotiator career makes ex- tom and i aren't being unfair like it makes approximately as much sense as as it sounds like it does it's a hodgepodge of events that are all written in a bombastic way but the game you just there's so much randomness to it that the game has no idea who you're going to be negotiating with or what's going to happen or whether your spouse is alive or dead. <laughs> so a lot of the cards are kind of discordant and and the tone is off. And I don't know about you, Tom, but I do not care one bit. No, no. Like no. so, I think this kind of makes it. I mean, not a not a counterpoint to Sleeping Gods exactly, but you know, it's. I think it's an interesting design lesson that you can work very hard to have a story that's coherent and moving and sensible. But that's not necessarily going to be what's the most fun. And I think Hostage Negotiator Career is just so fascinating for just turning everything up to 11 and making no Mm. sense and including every cop trope under the sun. (laughs) And yet that didn't make me take it less seriously. It just made it funnier. Almost like I'm playing a cartoon, I suppose. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is anchored around just the dice play. The fact that you have these dice and you roll two and they're horrible. And it makes the game... like a borderline abusively difficult at times uh, especially when you're getting to grips with it i've heard from you and from others that like it becomes more solvable as you go and as you learn how to you know manage that risk but like because those core mechanics are so good and because like you work so hard to calm yeah. the abductor down and then they can just off someone like because they are so volatile it has this game where you really do feel like the odds are stacked against you when you're in that negotiation it's like it does feel like a game of two halves where you have this very tense negotiation game and then just a bunch of weird stuff happens to you (laughs) and it will make you kind of laugh and also be like well no i was gonna say you'll take it seriously you won't you'll be chuckling the whole time as your negotiator goes through increasingly bad times you're onto something though like i think that how just how exciting that core dice play is like it doesn't matter how sit like you know that you maxed out a roland driving a really cool car because within (laughs) about 15 minutes you're going to be negotiating for lives and those lives are going to come down to ultimately like you can stall the big important dice roll of any negotiation but really it's a game about taking risks and Mm -hmm. you're going to eventually build up to a huge risk and you're going to roll your dice and your heart's going to be in your throat and it doesn't matter that you somehow forgot about your dead spouse on a holiday because (laughs) that dice roll is so exciting that it kind of lifts the entire stupid story like stratospherically high because Mm -hmm. because the dice are so exciting so weirdly the plot becomes exciting even though the plot is nonsensical yeah it's so schlocky in the best possible way in that it is ridiculous but never to an extent that makes you enjoy it less it's proper b-movie stuff and i think that often you can have those moments where even if you're you know you're watching a trashy b-movie and then something huge happens and you do care about it but in a way that like you can either be fully engaged with or you can view with (laughs) through some lenses of ironic enjoyment but you're still having a great time and i don't know 
It's great. I'm having a wild time. I can't wait to see how it ends. There's so many envelopes I'm yet to open. It's not that hard to get to the finale, but when you get to the finale, you're kind of real. It, it, it makes the structure of the campaign make a bit more sense. Okay, I see. I will also say something here that um, if if you're chomping at the bit to play hostage negotiator Korea, you know, as as I said at the top of this segment, stock is really low right now because a lot of people have tried to buy it after our review. But also, um, publishers, board game publishers the world over are really struggling with international shipping. Shipping is not just slower; it's like doubled or sometimes quadrupled in price um so restocks are going to be even harder to get than they were normally so if you're excited about hostage negotiated career and you're waiting impatiently for it maybe it could be worth trying to get pre-orders in for the final girl which we haven't played but it does use the same system and van rider games are publishing it and i'm sure it'll be good because i've, I've been playing some of their other games recently and actually i'm, I'm continually impressed by the small publisher so um no. i would definitely look into i'm not gonna say which game but it's no. really not very difficult to work it out because they don't have many games so <laughs> that's a, that's a that's something that people who are heavily invested in the podcast can google if they want to figure out what i've been playing i'm i'm also just thrilled you're enjoying it you're, tom you're proof that once you've enjoyed a solo game you can give it to a friend and it you, and you get even more pleasure because then your friend goes this is funny and you go yep Yep, and you, <laughs> you can be smug. That's what yeah. you're getting out of it. I'm getting, well, I, it's it's relief really because if you got it and were like, Quinn's you were wrong to recommend this," then that would be that would be no. Like it's fair. a it's a delight. It's a delight, and it's so I I love it when you can play a solo game and you can just talk and yeah, you can just bounce back and talk to someone. Oh, I saw this. Oh, I saw this. Like when there's so much variance, it's just delightful having those little conversations with you where you're like, "How's it going?" And I'm like, "I am trying to murder an influencer." And you're like, "Great." <laughs> you said you you accidentally gave away a motorbike as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I gave. <laughs> so there's a whole system where you you can give away that if a if an abductor has demands, you can say. Oh yeah, we'll meet that demand and give them the thing they're after. But then, obviously, if it's an escape route, then they'll just escape the next round. So it's like a last-ditch <laughs> effort where you go, here, take the motorbike, and then you're lining up the snipers on the rooftop. Uh, I gave them the motorbike, then completely fudged the next dice roll, and they just drove away. And it was like, well, <laughs> there we go. Brilliant. That's another case closed. <laughs> yeah. clan. It's so baffling hearing you talk about all of this because it just it 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 just sounds like completely wild and like I don't understand how all of these <laughs> things fit into a game. Like it feels like I'm being trolled here, and you're actually just like making up stories about <laughs> like nonsensical hostage related hijinks. You're the next in the queue. You're the next. Ah, oh, Ava, do you want to do you want to negotiate the release of some hostages? Um, I, I'll, I'll give it a go. I feel like it would be hard not to now that I've heard all of this nonsense. Yes. One of us. The copy of Hostage Negotiated Career can continue circling <laughs> the team. It would probably take all four of us playing it until we've seen like all of the abductors because yeah. Um, yeah, it's so tricking. There are loads, and they're all angry. They're all really angry. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to work out about what. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. And hey, we've, touch words, released a uh, exciting video on the YouTube channel this week that Tom and I have not filmed yet. Um, Tom and I are doing an updated version of a video I did last year on the top five new card games that have come out recently. And Tom and I uh, literally, right after this podcast, are going to finish a script which currently contains like 11 card games. Like, what are we doing, Tom? <laughs> it's got too many games in it. We're probably going to have to cut some games. We're probably going to have to just 
give some games maybe like four words and then move on to the next one. That is what I'm planning to do. I also saw that you wrote a fight, like a physical altercation <laughs> between you and me into the script since I last checked. So that's exciting. I've got to say it is very freeing having multiple people to play with in those scripts rather than just various copies of myself. Although I have added many copies of myself into this <laughs> review as well. So, you know, old habits die hard, I suppose. Is that just so that you could win the fight? Uh, no, I definitely lose the <laughs> okay. fight. In fact, it's a copy of me that definitely loses the right. fight in in a way that I hope will be comedically pleasing. But in a sort of wrestling uh, booking style, we still don't know the power levels of fictional Tom and fictional me if the two of us were to fight in the sort of shut up and sit down mm. universe. Uh, so anyway, the point is that to hopefully Tom and I have released an absolutely demented video on the YouTube channel this week. And if you head over, then you can see our top five or favorite new card games in 2021. Yeah. I think that's the naming convention for that video. It's a bubbly mix. It's a bubbly mix of strange games. We review a game for the third time in it. <laughs> and we also talk about two games that are also one game. It's going to be great. We talk about no less than four card games where the defining trait is that they're weirdly shiny. Because there's this like new technology now to do with gloss on cards that makes them super reflective. Yep. And it's unfortunate that that appears on four games where the reflectiveness is the most impressive thing about them. I'm throwing shade there, but the cards aren't because they're reflective. You know what? I was going to say something else, but you know, that's just, that's the perfect place to end it really, isn't it? That was so good. Ava, Tom and I have been talking like a couple of stupid siblings for the last like 30 minutes do you want to do you want to pass on a message like to our audience now as we close the podcast yeah well done for listening everybody it was fun that, <laughs> that was that was that was that was a touch of desperation to your voice i like it i like it this has been a shadow and sit down podcast the next one will be more coherent thank you very much these are just getting better and better aren't they we're just going from strength to strength. <laughs> it's just lockdown, man. Or not, not even lockdown. We left lockdown. It's not even lockdown. It's the weird, like, coming out of lockdown. Like, wait, what is the world real? What is what is mm. going on? Have I habituated myself to a weird situation? Maybe. But also, we're still recording podcasts. Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs>